I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry. In just a moment, we're going to be talking about science and music and COVID-19 and where all those three topics intersect. But first, let me tell you that Chris Wallace right now is speaking about the first debate. Chris Wallace, as you know, moderated uh, the, well, if you want to call it a debate, whatever took place the other night. Uh, He's talking about the work that went into his preparations uh, and the surprises with which he was met once uh, the evening began. Uh, I'm going to try to uh, collect those comments and share them with you uh, later on in the program. It's fascinating uh, what he he is sharing, regardless of, you know, if you place blame on his shoulders uh, or the president's or Joe Biden's or some combination of the three of them. uh, It's interesting uh, to hear this uh, now for the first time uh, from Chris Wallace. So we'll get to that later on in the program. Right now, though, uh, I have to tell you, when I was when I was young, I was in the band at school. I played the saxophone, and uh, behind me were the was the trumpet section and the trombone section. And there is a sound. You know how like you have like sensory related memories. There is a sound that I will probably for my entire life. Uh, remember. And, and occasionally, if I hear, you know, some sound that's similar to this, I'll be whisked back away to the, the time where I was in the school band playing the saxophone. And the sound is this. It's the sound of the trumpeters and the trombone players uh, emptying their spit valves. Did you ever play in the band or do you have a kid who does? And there's that little, uh, often stainless steel, uh, little trap on a spring. Uh, you push that button, you blow into the mouthpiece, and it uh, <laughs> it sends all the spit everywhere. <laughs> well, because spit ends up being a pretty substantial piece of uh, at least woodwind and, and brass instruments. And so it is natural, it is natural that as orchestras and other bands uh, around the country are looking at their season this year and looking at the safeguards they uh, must employ to prevent the spread of this COVID virus, some are finding it absolutely impossible to operate. Orchestras across the country have canceled their 2020 seasons. It's a heartbreaking thing, especially for those uh, patrons of the arts out there, myself included. But here in Utah, things are a little bit different. The Utah Symphony and the Utah Opera, uh, they weren't ready to say uh, we're closing the doors this year. Instead, uh, they reached out to some smart folks up at the University of Utah uh, to study the surroundings, study the stage, the placement of the artists, the musicians, uh, the placement of the audience, uh, all of the factors that could possibly mitigate the spread of the coronavirus. And uh, they turned to an engineer. One of those engineers joins me on the line uh, uh, right now, professor of chemical engineering with the University of Utah, James Sutherland, joins me now. Professor, how are you? I'm well, thanks. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Uh, if I'm honest, I have exhausted my ability to explain the intense work that you have undertaken. Uh, you take it away. W- what have you done for the Utah Symphony? What have you studied? What have you found? Well, I, I think you kind of set it up well. Uh, you know, wind instruments inherently emit uh droplets as as a wind instrument plays um, brass or woodwinds and 
those droplets, if somebody's infected with COVID or flu or the cold or whatever it might be, those droplets are carrying those viruses around uh, through the air. And so we wanted to try to understand how that was happening and then come up with some strategies to reduce the risk to all of the players on the stage. And that's what the uh, symphony and opera asked us to do. Share with me some of those strategies you were able to identify. Is it where people are sitting, the directions they face? What have you suggested to the, the symphony and the opera? Yeah, so there's uh, a few things that we asked them about, you know, what, what would they allow us to change in order to reduce risk? And they, and they basically said, you know, anything's on the table, uh, we're, we're willing to entertain whatever you guys come up with that can reduce risk to the players. And so we were trying to come up with things. Uh, of course, the first thing you need to know if you're going to reduce risk is where are these droplets going? And so we can get a view into that with uh, some simulations that we're able to perform. Uh, my, myself and my collaborator uh, on this project, Tony Saad, who's a professor in, in our department as well. And as we look at these simulations, we can use the computer to give us a virtual view into the airflow uh, through the stage area. And when we look at that airflow, it can help us understand where does a particle or a droplet that comes out of one instrument, say a trumpet or something, where does it go? Um, whose face does it cross on its path? And uh, then we can start saying, well, how do we, how can we move instrumentalists around uh, so that, for example, emissions that come out of an instrument don't end up impacting another musician, and rather they go out of the ventilation system. And so that's that's really the essence of what we were looking at. You know, moving instrumentalists around uh, to try to reduce. The risk overall to the, to the entire orchestra. Did you think, as you were, uh, you know, pursuing your own degree, uh, that you someday would be uh, applying your expertise and your knowledge in, in this fashion? You know, it's interesting the twists and turns that life takes, and the opportunities that sometimes come your way, even amidst uh, you know a global pandemic. And uh, this this isn't something, honestly, that was on my radar professionally, um, but. Uh, you know, my, my colleague, Professor Saad, enjoys classical music. He's a guitarist. I, uh, I perform with the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, and so I, the, the performing arts are near and dear to my heart. And so when the um, symphony leadership reached out to us and said, you know, here's what we're thinking. Can you guys help us? It was really a great opportunity where kind of my personal and professional lives intersected for a period of time. And it's been really great to to be able to uh, bring my background and expertise to bear on a problem that helps our community so much. I, I imagine that due to these unique circumstances and your uh, unique approach to uh, you know solving the problems presented by them, it seems that your skills may be very valuable right now. Have you been contacted by, by other symphonies in other cities or, or other, uh, other performance halls that would like to get uh, folks back in the seats? Uh, a little bit. There's, there's, seems to be a network um, among uh, symphony and even choral organizations and performing arts uh, that are kind of talking among each other. And so we've had some feelers from even a few international organizations, one in Canada that's interested in doing the same thing, that are just kind of watching the work and, and everyone's kind of watching out to see how are people attacking this problem and trying to get 
these uh, musicians doing what they do best, which is providing uh, performing arts to their communities. Well, I admire you for doing this. I admire you for the creativity and the expertise and everything that has gone into this. And I, uh, you know, my fingers are crossed that uh, uh, that everything that is suggested and all of the suggestions that are taken, uh, in fact, do uh, mitigate this risk. Anything we can do either, uh, you know, in the auditorium, in the laboratory, in our own lives, in our workplaces is all welcome when it comes to beating back this uh, this little pandemic we're facing here. Uh, Professor, thank you for your time. Congratulations. Thank you. Alrighty, uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we return, I'm so excited to have a conversation with a good friend of mine, Maria Chaleos. You will hear her this weekend between conference sessions uh, as she explores devotion from a distance. She'll give us a sneak preview next on Live Mike. I'm Lee Lonsberry, and this is KSL News Radio. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.